be in the book of Ezra, chapter 10. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 19, and then I'll explain this story. Um, but uh, the Lord has really, um, has really been speaking something to us here. And I believe the case is the same today. He wants to continue uh, with what he started last week. Ezra chapter 10 uh, and verse 1. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Now, while Ezra was praying and while he was confessing, weeping, and bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him from Israel, for the people wept very bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, spoke up and said to Ezra, We have trespassed against our God and have taken pagan wives from the peoples of the land, yet now there is hope in Israel in spite of this. Now therefore let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and those who have been born to them according to the advice of my master and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise for this matter is your, say your, your responsibility. We are also with you, be of good courage and do it. Then Ezra arose and made the leaders of the priests, the Levites, and all Israel swear an oath that they would do according to this word. So they swore an oath. Then Ezra rose up from before the house of God and went into the chamber of Jehohanan, the son of Eliashib. And when he came there, he ate no bread and drank no water, for he mourned because of the guilt of those from the captivity. And they issued a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the descendants of the captivity that they must gather at Jerusalem. And that whosoever would not come within three days, according to the instructions of the leaders and elders, all his property would be confiscated, and he himself would be separated from the assembly of those from the captivity. So all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered at Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month on the twentieth of the month, and all the people sat in the open square of the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of heavy rain. Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have transgressed, you have transgressed and take pagan wives against the guilt of Israel. Now therefore, make confession to the Lord God of your fathers and do his will. Separate. Everybody say separate. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the pagan wives. Then all the assembly answered and said with a loud voice, Yes, as you have said, so we must do. But there are many people. It is the season for heavy rain, and we're not able to stand outside. Nor is this the work of one or two days. There are many of us who have transgressed in this matter. Many of us who have transgressed in this matter. Please, let the elders of our entire assembly stand. Let all those in our cities who have taken pagan wives come at appointed times together with the elders and judges of their cities until the fierce wrath of our God is turned away from us in this matter. Only Jonathan, the son of Ashael, and Jehaziah, the son of Tikvah, opposed this, and Meshulam and Shabithai, the Levite, gave them support. Then the descendants of the captivity did so, and Ezra the priest, with certain heads of the father's households, were set apart by the father's households, each of them by name, and they sat down on the first day of the tenth month to examine the matter. By the first day of the first month, they finished questioning all the men who had taken pagan wives. And among the sons of the priests who had taken pagan wives, the following were found on the sons of Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and his brothers, Messiah, Eleazar, Jerob, and Gedaliah. And they gave their promise, their promise, that they would put away their wives. And being guilty, they presented a ram of the flock as, as their trespass offering. I'm going to explain that story a little bit more in just a minute, and you'll understand it better. But I want to preach to you today for a few moments, just a second part in this series we've called True Worship. And today we're going to talk about separation from sin. 
separation from sin. If you will, pray with me and for me. Father, thank you so much for your presence that we felt already. Thank you for uh, those that we've celebrated again in water baptism. Thank you for the worship. But Lord, now comes the time for your word. And I pray today that, Lord, you would speak your word clearly to your people today. Anoint every ear to hear, every heart to receive what you would speak to us. Lord, anoint these lips of clay that I wouldn't deliver my words or that I wouldn't even speak with the enticing words of men's wisdom, but that your word would come forth today in the power and the demonstration of your spirit. We'll never fail to give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in advance. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. We're going to continue for at least the next two weeks talking about what the Lord started speaking to us about last week, and that is true worship. I want to recap very briefly and very quickly this morning, but worship is not a plan or a performance. Y'all help me preach today. It'll go quicker if you don't help me preach. You definitely won't beat anybody to the buffet, regardless of what denomination they are. Amen. It is not merely the time that we spend. Worship is not merely just the time we spend singing in church. Worship is a heartfelt response to an awesome God. Somebody help me preach this morning. Worship is important. As a matter of fact, whether you have really worshipped yet or not this morning, worship is the sole purpose for which you are here today. Somebody said, no, wait a minute, I came to celebrate some baptismal candidates. Well, that's wonderful, but in doing so, you came to a worship service. So it's my prayer that before you leave here today, that you will have worshipped the Lord, and not only worshipped Him, but worshipped in spirit and in truth. But listen, how many know sometimes it's hard to get the kids ready and the family ready and get to church? Can I get a witness from some of the mamas? Actually, I saw some of the daddies giving a Pentecostal wave, praising the Lord. Kudos, Dad, to those of you that help. And all the ladies said, right. It's hard to get here sometimes, right? So I would hope and pray that we would never spend all of our time and all of our effort getting here just to miss our very opportunity to do what we were supposed to come here to do. And I want to tell you, I want to stop there on one note. How many of you know Gina, uh, Gina Hubbard's brother that we've been praying for forever, Sam, that was in the hospital in ICU? Christina Conley that goes to church here, and Sam, look, right over here on this side of the congregation in the back in a wheelchair is our miracle. <laughs> miracle. I saw him in the hospital in the condition he was in, and it's a miracle that Sam is here today. You know what? We should never uh, spend all of the effort that we have to get here and then bypass the sole purpose for which we came, and that is to worship and give praise to God. If you don't have anything else to praise him for today, praise him because Sam got his miracle. <laughs> Hallelujah. Last Sunday, I went through four things. Very quickly, I'll recap them. True worship is not dependent on the atmosphere. True worship changes the atmosphere. True worship is not about my worth. True worship is about His worth. True worship is giving everything we have to God, holding nothing back. And true worship, this one's tough sometimes, but it's the truth about true worship. True worship cannot be silenced by your circumstances. 
And in our main text this morning, I said I would recap the story for you. We pick up the story after the temple has been rebuilt in Jerusalem and worship has been restored to the temple. The affairs of the church were good in appearance. Everything looked good inside and out. And when you looked outside the church, you would find in chapter 9 that the government was even good to them. How many says, praise the Lord, I'd love to see that one again today. And you, you don't see any complaints. You don't read anything about, um, about persecution or no complaints of, of oppression. Their enemies had their hearts turned or at least their hands tied. Their neighbors were civil. You don't read of any wars or any rumors of war in this passage of Scripture. There was nobody to make them afraid. There was no fear of anything happening. All was as well as could be considering that they were poor people. They were subjects to a foreign prince and they were few in number. That's the only negative things that they had going against them. And then you look at home. If you read about their home life, there was no mention of Baal or Ashtaroth or Moloch or Dagon or any of those other gods. There was no images, there was no groves, no mention of golden calves, and not so much uh, just in the high places. There was no idolatrous altars, and there were no separate altars to other gods. But the temple was kept, and it was duly respected, and the temple, the house of God, the service to the house of God was kept up. Yet at the very same time, everything wasn't good either. You see, the purest ages of the church have always had some corruptions. And the case was no different here in this story. See, the church will never be presented without spot or without wrinkle until it becomes the glorious church that the Bible speaks of. The triumphant church. See, the church as we know it will never be perfect. If you're looking for a perfect church this morning, you're in the wrong place. You know why? There's a lot of people in this church. And anywhere there's people in a church, it won't be perfect. But somebody say, thank God for the imperfect people in the church. But here's the deal. When we begin, and this is the point of this whole story. You say, I didn't understand all that you read. That's okay. The point of this whole story is when we begin to ignore and justify our imperfections rather than acknowledging them and repenting of them, we hinder the work of God. So if we really, we have a saying around here, kingdom first. We've, that's been a thing since about 2017 when the Lord spoke to me and gave me a clear vision about preaching to you to put the kingdom first in every area of your life. And if we really want to put the kingdom first and we really want the work of God to go forth, it becomes necessary. I want every, how many preachers do we have in the room this morning? Come on, don't be ashamed. Lift your hand if you've ever preached. All right, I see them. I want every preacher to hear me when I say this. Every Sunday school teacher, anybody that takes the floor, every children's church worker, because it's important, listen, it becomes necessary for the preacher to do what Ezra did. And that is to stand up 
and to call out the sins of the people that are hindering the work of God. Mm -hmm. Sins that if left unaddressed will hinder the progress of the kingdom. And in this particular instance, these men had taken strange wives. I'm about to preach up in here. They had taken wives that were forbidden by their culture, if you will. And Ezra, if he wanted to get rid of the hindrance in the church in order to progress the house of God, he had no choice except to get up and call out those sins and call for repentance. I tell our staff, whether it's in the sanctuary or the student center or the elementary school ministry room or nursery, preschool, kindergarten or in a discipleship class on Wednesday night. Don't ever, don't ever be backward. Don't ever be shy about standing up, declaring the unadulterated word of God and calling sin what it is. And call for repentance. But see, there's a problem in the church world today. Did anybody know that? There's a problem in the church world today. Nobody wants they sin called out. Right? And nobody wants to repent. See, when you truly get saved and repent, you start out maybe going this way. But repentance is more than just asking forgiveness of sins. Can I get a witness? You stop at the altar and you ask forgiveness of sins. Then when you get up from the altar, you do this. You don't turn 360. I hear people say sometimes I did a 360. Well, if you did, you still go in the same direction you was before you prayed. You do a 180 and you go the polar opposite direction from the way that you was going before. And when Ezra called out the sin and he called for repentance, you know what he actually did? He started a revival. Because the problem with the church is that nobody wants their sin called out. Nobody wants to repent. But the problem with that is, is there can't be a revival. And there can't be any real kingdom progress take place until both happen. Until somebody calls out, I'm preaching better than you're helping me. Until somebody calls out sin and calls for repentance. But when Ezra called out sin and called for repentance, you know what he actually did? He actually started a revival in the church. See, in the church world today, we want to be self-righteous. We want to think that we're all good and everything's okay. But I'm reminded that in February of this year, there was a student who got up in a chapel service after most, most everybody else was leaving, going on to class. He got up with the students that was left in a chapel service. And you know what he did? He openly confessed his sin. And then he began to repent of his sin. And when he did, other students began to repent of their sin. And a revival was started because somebody was transparent and willing to say, I've sinned and I need God to forgive me and I want to do better. God help us that the church could get in the place today where people would not feel reserved about saying, I've sinned. I want God to forgive me. I want to repent. You know why? That single confession, that single act of repentance sparked a revival that 50, over 50,000 people from around the globe, including myself, went to Asbury for an in-person service because revival was breaking out. Repentance causes revival. And Ezra caused revival in the church when he called for repentance. Repentance. Because when repentance occurs, 
Here's where y'all get real quiet on me. I told the early crowd that um, I expected people to be quiet today. This is more of a teaching message, and it's also one of those messages where people's just like, ouch. But when repentance occurs, people don't just continue in their sin. They turn from it. Listen, in the church world today, we got it wrong. We come to church, we feel guilty, we feel convicted, we come to the altar, we ask God to forgive us, but we don't repent. We get up from the altar and we go right back out and do what we just asked God to forgive us of. But when people truly repent, they don't continue in it. They put a stop to it. And here in this instance, they had to put away strange wives and even the children that they had by these strange wives. They had to clean house with the church, if you will, and get things out that didn't belong. Now, I know this sounds extreme, but you have to remember, what we just read is a picture. It's a type and a shadow of the church. And listen i got to give this disclaimer in today's time so somebody don't leave here and say something crazy. I'm not calling for anybody to divorce their spouse and leave their kids. Somebody says, Pastor Sean preached on it this morning. That's what I've been waiting to do. Let's do it. No, that's not, that's crazy to even think so. That goes against New Testament teaching about marriage. Say amen, somebody. But what I'm saying is this. Hear me well. In many places, the church, as we know it, has allowed herself to become married to some strange things that are forbidden in Scripture. Y'all ain't going to help me preach now. I said the church has allowed herself to become married to some strange things that are strictly prohibited in Scripture. And you know why? Somebody says, well, why did they also put away the wives and then they left the kids that they had with them? You know why? When the church marries herself to some strange things that are against Scripture, we might grow in number, but we are producing unregenerate offspring. Oh, yeah. Oh, you mean... You mean you can grow a big, massive church and there'll be a lot of people in it going to hell? Oh, yeah. Oh, y'all ain't going to help me preach today. I said, oh, yeah. When the church marries herself to some strange things, we produce unregenerate offspring that are not truly saved. And we continue to add to and justify the sins that nobody wants to call out anymore. Pastor, what are you talking about this morning? I said, the church is married. They don't just flirt with it anymore. They're married to some forbidden things in Scripture. So don't take my word for it. Take Paul's. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. And Elijah, you can leave this one on the screen after we go through it. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Do not be fooled. Do not be tricked. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, nor sodomites nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. I'm going to go through this as quick as I can. Here we go. Paul said, don't be deceived. In other words, don't be fooled. Don't think things are okay just because people do them and they work in the church. What God's word says is wrong is wrong. Regardless 
of who goes against it or who says something else is okay. Now, how many knows we're living in a worship age? We are. There's a country song that says, I was country when country wasn't cool. Well, I was a worshiper when worship wasn't cool. But now today, worship is really cool. How many knows what I'm talking about? Some of the most famous uh, folks in the genre of worship music can literally pack out arenas and football stadiums sold out services. Anybody seen it? I talked about it last week. Vadi Balkum said that we're producing passionate people with empty heads who love on a Jesus they don't know very well. We're living in a worship age. But here's why I said that. I want you to understand this. I'm going to put myself in the place and then I'm going to say it. My worship does not offset or cancel out my sin. Did you hear me? My worship does not offset my sin. Worship is good. Worship is necessary. But it does not negate the fact that you cannot cover up sin and hide it behind your worship. Just because you worship passionately and you lift hands, it doesn't mean that your worship is pure. And if you're not careful, you will find yourself married to that sin that you're in. Not just flirting with it anymore. I said married to it. Justifying that sin. And ultimately, if you do so, you know what you'll do? You'll do what Paul said. You'll be deceived. Don't be deceived. You're not progressing the kingdom You're hindering the kingdom. When people in the church hide and cover up and justify their sin and then try to cover it up with their worship, you're not progressing the kingdom. You're hindering the kingdom. Let me preach here for just a minute. All right. Hope all the kids are in kids' church. We're going to go through these real quick. Fornication. Fornication is sin. I got one clap. Sex is a wonderful thing. God created it. He had a a divine intention for it. But sex before marriage is against the Word of God. Yeah. See, as we go through these, we become so, we flirted with things so long. Some of us are married to them, and you can tell. Are you with me? My mama had a term for this. I started not to put it in my notes, but then I put it in my notes because I thought, you know, I know where she is, so if she's there and she called it that, I can call it that and I'm good. My mama called it shacking up. Yeah, y'all will not help me preach today. Shacking up together and working in the local church is not okay. You will not do anything but hinder the kingdom of God until you repent of that sin. But I've got good news for you today. It's an easy fix. You can move out or get married. Somebody said, no, wait a minute, Pastor. i got to live with them before I can decide if I want to marry them. Well, I didn't write the book. Fornication is a sin. Y'all are quiet today. It's a sin. The church has become married to it. 
Idolatry is a sin. Anything, anything that you put before God is not okay. I don't care if it's a hobby, a person, a sport, hmm, an income stream, or a child that you're trying to live vicariously through. If it comes before God, it's a sin. Adultery is a sin. I'm going to say it again. Sex is a wonderful thing. But when you're married to somebody, sex with anybody besides the person you're married to is not okay. It wasn't in this church, but I was reminded locally recently how easily that can be hidden sometimes amongst people that work in the church. Listen, stop trying to hide it. What do people that's committing adultery do? Sneak around, go around and hide it. It's sin. And until you repent of it and stop it, you won't be blessed. Your marriage won't be blessed. Your home won't be blessed. And nothing that you're trying to do you say for the kingdom will be blessed. It's got to be repented of and stopped. Here's another one. I'm afraid the church is really married. Everybody gets uncomfortable. I've not even said the word yet, and some of y'all, their skin's crawling. What is he going to say? Homosexuals. Homosexuality is a sin. Sin. Same-sex relationships are not okay. I don't care what church has a small group for them. It's not okay. God's word says it's a sin, yet many churches will condone it. And I'll never understand for the life of me why some of them will not just condone it, they'll celebrate it. And they'll allow it in their pulpits. They'll allow it to work in children's church. God help us. Did you know that in children's Christian music, look it up. I don't know their names. Somebody asked me their names. I don't know their names. But in children's Christian music, one of the top charting duets right now is two drag queens. In children's Christian music, they'll allow it in children's church. They'll allow it to lead worship in pulpits. Hello, somebody. I've seen more. Flaming boys and men on pulpits in churches than I've seen about anywhere else. Y'all ain't going to help me preach. And for the life of me, I'll never understand why people do that. They'll allow it to lead a small group, teach a discipleship class. Like I said, some churches even have a small group for same-sex couples. The church world as a whole has allowed themselves to marry something that is strictly forbidden by the Word of God. Somebody says, I know that's hard, preacher. I know it's not popular. And I know it might make somebody upset when I say this. But the fact that many have become married to it doesn't change the fact that it's a strange spouse of the church. It's not normal. It's contrary to God's Word. And it needs to be called out. And it needs to be repented of. Somebody says, you can't help who you love. Really? Really? Then 
Let's justify that when a 62-year-old man tells you he's in love with your 7-year-old daughter. You don't come too late to tell me. We've got a young lady in this church who walked in on Friends and Family Day as a homosexual addicted to drugs and alcohol and living a lesbian lifestyle. She didn't have a major transformation on Friends and Family Day. She came for a few months and, or a few weeks, and then on a Sunday night in November, she got saved. We watched sanctification take place. By April, she called my wife and said, Hey, Miss Angie, would you go shopping with me for Easter? I want to dress like a woman. She had not had female undergarments. She, she was a middle schooler. But today, she's saved, sanctified, filled with the Spirit, married, and has a baby. Don't tell me God can't do it. God can do it and God can turn it around. Now, theft is sin. Y'all are so happy. I'm not going to explain sodomy, aren't you? Look that one up. Theft is a sin. Taking, we, taking what rightfully does not belong to you is a Sin. Running up a bill or a credit card with the intention of not paying it back is not okay. Listen, somebody says, oh no, here he goes. A lot of people are afraid to preach this. I'm not afraid to preach this. I was a banker for 27 years. I watched some Christian people borrow some money and run up debts that they knew they never had any intention to pay back. Just because you didn't walk in and take it physically from somebody, if you spent it and you owe it and you had no intention when you... Financial hardship is a real thing. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about when you do it knowing I'm not going to worry about it. I'll file bankruptcy and i file bankruptcy three or four times. Listen, I'm sorry. Other people can pat you on the back and say, that's okay. I'm going to tell you it's sin. You ain't going to help me preach it, but I'm going to tell you anyway. It's sin. Financial hardship is a real thing. And maybe you say, oh, Pastor, I pay my bills. What about your tithes? A tithe is 10% of your income. And if you consider yourself a Christian, it's not a should do. It's a must do. Is this man in this church that I've came to today calling me a thief if I don't pay my tithes? I'm not. But Malachi said, Will a man rob God? I didn't say it. Don't shoot the messenger. Look it up for yourself. Let your fingers do the walking. Malachi said, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me in my tithes and offerings. Thievery is a sin. Don't get upset with me. Don't get upset with me. Some of y'all's upset with me. Covetousness is a sin. I got to hurry. Being dissatisfied with what you have and always wanting what somebody else has is not okay. It's sin. What some of y'all need to do is get off your social media platforms. Get in your I said get off your social media platforms. Get in your prayer closet at home and say, God, I thank you for what you've blessed me with. 
God can't bless you with more until you're thankful for what He's already given you. And He also can't bless you if you're robbing Him. Well, being a drunkard is a sin. It's not okay. I'm afraid a majority of the church world has become married to social drinking. Am I right? God help us. Then we wonder why the church today has no power. Hmm. Now, wait a minute, Pastor. Listen, Jesus himself was talking about John the Baptist, and here's what he said. He said he was anointed from his mother's womb. And then he went right on, and the next thing he said was, and he was neither given to wine or strong drink. If you don't think there's a direct correlation there, then why did Jesus say it? Jesus could have said he was anointed from his mother's womb and went right on. But he said, hold up, i got to tell you, he wasn't given to wine or strong drink. What do you mean, pastor? Is one drink going to send me to hell? I can't find that in the Word of God. I'm not going to tell you that. But here's what I am going to tell you. There is a direct correlation between what you don't participate in and the anointing of God that can be placed on your life. Pastor, are you calling me a drunkard? If you have to have a drink in order to be social, yep, you're a drunkard. If you have to have, somebody said, okay. If you have to have a drink in order to wind down, you're a drunkard. Hmm. I knew this was going to go this way. I was prepared before I got up here. All right, let's do it your way. We've done it before. We'll just do it again. I'm, if I'm married to Angie, and I am, by the way, how many other women do I have to be with in order for you to call me an adulterer? The same exact number that I have to be with in order to be dead. One. I mean, I could plan it, and if she found out about it, it may not have even happened yet. I'd still be dead. One. How many men does another man have to be with in order for you to call him a homosexual? One. So how many alcoholic beverages then does it take for somebody to consider you a drunkard? I rest my case. In any event, until sin is called sin and it's repented of, it'll hinder the progress of the kingdom. Being a reviler is sin. I'm almost done. Do you know what it means to revile? The word, the definition of revile is to criticize in an abusive or angrily insulting manner. To criticize in an angrily abusive insulting manner. I'm afraid the church has become married to the concept of reviling. You don't think so? You let somebody in the church post their personal political view... And you just sit back and get some popcorn. And watch. Live, real time. You'll see the church, the so-called church, come on there and revile. It's not okay until it's called out as sin. What we, our words are important. What we say matters. And lastly, extortion is sin. Extortion is the practice of obtaining something through force or threats. We often want to skip over this one because most of us think of extortion involving money. 
But extortion involves more than money. Most of the time, it's more about getting your own way. Let me read the definition again. The definition is the practice of obtaining something through force or threats. The church, by and large, has become married to the practice of extortion. Pastor, you've done lost your mind on this one. Really? How many times do you think people have left the church in the last 10 years over some minor issue in which they didn't get their way? They didn't leave or get upset because of something that was scripturally or doctrinally out of line. They were upset and or they left because of something that was a personal preference issue or trying to get their way. They were under the authority of leadership, but they only stayed there until they couldn't control the leadership. Are you with me? When you use the fact that, Pastor, listen, let me just make it real plain for you. If there's something here that we're doing that you don't like, unless it is scripturally or doctrinally wrong, don't bring it to me. Don't bring it to me. And if you want to try to use that as leverage of, I don't like this and we need to stop it, or I don't like that one, you don't need to let them do this, or blah, 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 then you know what? I love you. But what I'm going to say is, there's the door. We're not going to extort the gospel by, for somebody's personal preference. Are you with me this morning? You don't have to love everything. You don't have to like everything. You don't have to like everybody, but you do have to love everybody. But listen, when we do that and we try to get our way and pull our weight on something that is not a doctrinal or a scriptural issue, then we are extorting the gospel and it's sin. And as much as I love people and as much as I want to see the church continue to grow, I know, I know it makes people comfortable. It puts us in an uncomfortable place. But when there is sin in the camp, it has to be called out, and it has to be called out for repentance every single time. I've saved the best for last, and they're coming to the music. Verse 11, Paul went on to say, you may remember several weeks ago I read this in my message several weeks ago. Paul said in verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Anybody in the house this morning besides me thankful for grace and mercy? But listen, you can only be washed. You can only be sanctified and you can only be justified when you repent and get rid of the sin. Nothing is more pleasing to God. Nothing is more pleasing to God than worship from a pure heart. We have a tendency to get things out of order so many times. We go to church because it's the right thing to do. Because mama or daddy or maybe granny or somebody else took us when we were little. And they taught us that it was the right thing to do. So we go to church. When we get here, we may even offer up some worship, you know, if the music is good. Or if we like that particular song. 
Or maybe we just had a good week or it's just a good day or maybe it just feels good that day to worship. We hear and we listen to the word because all of us, I believe, all of us believe it's the Bible. But you know what we do? We hear it and we rarely apply the message to us, to our lives. Folks, we're human. We mess up. I'm saying we. I mess up. I miss it. I get things out of order sometimes. But we just need to be reminded when God's eyes are roaming to and fro throughout this earth what He's looking for. We read it last week. We're going to close with it today. John chapter 4 and verse 23. said, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here right now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way.